just said, yes, you can. One foot in front of the other. One more step. One more step. Took my backpack off my shoulders, put it on his own shoulders, carried it, and literally put his hand on the small of my back and pushed me one step at a time. One more step. One more step. One more step. Until there were no more steps. And you finally break onto the summit. Jeremy Parsons joins the show today. Jeremy is a friend. You've heard his voice last week on the Guild Collective announcement. And this particular conversation was enjoyable for me. We cover a lot of ground. We go all the way back to Jeremy's childhood in Colorado. Some powerful and poignant moments of his upbringing, including some uh, some wonderful moments from his father. You, you'll hear uh, summiting a 14er. And we weave ourselves all the way through a narrative around shame and uh, brokenness and hardship and divorce and beauty and tattoos and all sorts of um, amazing gauntlets and journeys that we that we tackled in uh, a long conversation over an hour but one you'll find inspiring uh, and I think you'll find normal I think you'll find a very human first conversation here um, that goes deep in a hurry and provides some great hope and clarity and illumination as well so here you go Jeremy Parsons hey welcome back it's good to be sitting with a friend and a colleague and a storyteller today, Jeremy Parsons, the director of story at Guild Collective. Uh, you heard his voice in our little intro we did to, to rename or to announce kind of our, uh, not kind of, to announce our rebranded company um, and to give a little bit of philosophy around how we see the world, at least as it relates to marketing and story and brand and being a human first organization that impacts other human first organizations. So you've heard him, but today we'll, we'll go a little bit more personal and um, uh, today we'll go a little bit more personal with him to hear his journey, his personal journey, his career arc, his uh, upbringing and I have already talked too much. So, Jeremy, welcome <laughs> back to the show, dude. Good morning. Good to be here. It's good to have you. I I think, for reminder, we talked about this a couple weeks back in the intro, but we had a friendship and a connection before we uh, shared employers. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and I'm curious if you'd, if you'd remind me, well, what was your encounter? Um, how did we first come to know each other Man, in I, your recollection? I can't put my finger on the exact moment that I met you. <clears throat> um, but it was, it was clearly through church, right? Uh, so 15 years ago, was it 15 years? Yeah, Man. it was 15 years ago. It's crazy. A church starts up in Kansas City. I learned of it through a, a chain of... A chain of events, um, a chain of conversations. You told a friend of yours from Mizzou. That mm. friend of yours from Mizzou became my friend in Kansas City who told me. So we're both showing up there. The, the church started out of the death of an old church. Mm. And the, I do have this funny recollection of I took photos of that last service at the request of the new pastor. 
just to kind of commemorate it. This is kind of the history of the church or whatever. So I showed up to that service, and I went back, I don't know, a couple years ago, I I went back and I looked at those photos, and uh, lo and behold, in Mm. the crowd is uh, a young (laughs) Mm. 28-year-old Justin Rickliffs sitting with his then uh, baby girl Mm. who is now in college, (laughs) which Mm. is is wild so it's a fun kind of time capsule but that's where we met that's awesome somewhere in those four walls yeah i love that somewhere in those in those four pews probably too um such a broad start to our dialogue but who are you (laughs) (laughs) and and where just maybe just for sake of my own squirrel brain start me at the beginning like you Mm. were born and uh came into this world being what and who and where Man, I love asking this question of other people, and I hate having it asked of me because it is such a broad... You do love asking this (laughs) question. I do. In all sorts of amazing meetings, and it's like, nobody knows. (laughs) Nobody Nobody knows knows how to answer it. So let me uh, me throw a bunch of words at the wall and see what sticks. Okay, good. Um, uh, I'm a lot of things. Um, My my linear story started in, in 1980, uh, I was born in Washington State, southeastern Washington, uh, to be specific. Um, the only thing that uh, that town is known for is developing the plutonium for the first atomic bomb. Whoa. <laughs> so, um, so put that care- on a billboard. Yeah, be careful drinking <laughs> the water out there, I guess. Um, so, Richland, Washington, uh, I was born into the, into the home of a, of a pastor. I'm the oldest of four kids. Uh, from 80 to 83, lived my uh, initial childhood there, mm-hmm. moved to the Bay Area of California. My dad took another pastoring job, so I grew up uh, rooting for the, the Oakland days back in the, you know, the, mm. the Mark McGuire days. Um, the Bash Brothers. The Bash Brothers. Yeah, man. man I, met, I love the Oakland I, days. I met Jose Canseco in an airport, Awesome. and he was everything that you could imagine him to be, just a terrible human. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I asked him for an autograph, he and he could mash he, a baseball. Yeah, he was absolutely. Oh, he could destroy one. He could mash a baseball and grow a mullet. He could do both of those things <laughs> and take roids um, profusely. So, profusely. 1989, I moved to Western Colorado. So a big swing there from uh, from a very very big city in California, uh, San Jose, to a town of uh, 8,000 at the time in Western Colorado, a little town called Montrose, and uh, and. That's where I always reference where I'm from. Yeah. So my roots are Western Colorado uh, from nine through the end of high school. That's where I lived, grew up. Uh, man, I grew up like biking, fishing, hiking, uh, grew a real love for the outdoors, skiing. But I, but I skied Telluride. Like mm. I, that's my life. It's my childhood. Mm. It's wild. Uh, and what a great place to be a kid. So, um, so th- that's my roots. I went to college for three semesters. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, but I studied a, a really lucrative field, um, music performance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I w- probably wide net there. <laughs> man. Yeah. I was a band kid in high school. Um, played what? I played trombone. Come on. Yeah. Come on. And so I, I, uh, I set off on my, my musical journey. It lasted three semesters and, um, I think a combination of things like religious guilt, mm. feeling purposeless or directionless, or maybe just a deep sense of like, is this really all that there is? 
led me to take a quote unquote semester off and I'm still on that break today. I so. love that. I love that. <laughs> so. What, but what was it about the college experience that wasn't for you? <clears throat> like at some level it's courageous to be like, Nope, not yep. going to do that. But I don't think that that, I don't think that that was it. When I look back, it was not, it was not about me, uh, taking a bold stand that like, this is not for me. This is actually a story about me being unsure of who I am, uh, at the time. And I think flailing about a little bit, and I'm not sure that any 18 year old kid should be held to the standard of, well, you, you should know who you are by now. You've been through high school. Mm. It's like, that's a really, really narrow place to be. I, I about being mid forties and still exploring that question. (laughs) Well, we can get there here in a little bit. Um, so, so I think, I think that I, I think that I left because something didn't feel quite right. Mm. Um, I grew up in a, in a church environment that fair or not here, I'm not trying to make criticisms of, of people like my parents or, mm. uh, or, or the people that I went to church with or whatever, but, but behavior was the, was the top prize. Mm. It was stay in line and you will have a good life. And I did it really well. Um, not perfectly, but <laughs> but I did it. I did it really well. I'm a rule follower. I am a um, probably the least rebellious person. Or when rebellion comes out in me, mm. I apologize because I feel so guilty about it. Um, so I go to college. There's no rules. There's um, nobody looking over my shoulder telling me what to do and not do. Um, and I think I was just terrified of the world out there I, I think it, that's fair to me back then in that 18 19 year old state and so I, I left and I went to this non accredited religious school for a semester um, this part of the story doesn't really matter but in um, uh, I, I thought that that might fix it I might feel more certainty or, or something like that go to this school it was in that school that I met um, my uh, my now ex-wife. We uh, were married for 20 years. And so I'm opening up a lot of doors here. I realize like, this is choose your Thank own you. adventure. You asked me, who, you asked me who I am and I'll tell you a story about yeah. who I am. Cause I'm a lot of things. I am. Um, if I back up real quick, I am a father of three. I mm. love the West. I love um, hiking 14ers in Colorado. I love um, the, the smell of a pine forest and the, the smell of a campfire. Um, I love good coffee and a good beer or a good whiskey. Mm. Um, I, I've lived a lot of lives, I think. Uh, I've lived some careers, some big careers with some big experiences. And uh, mostly, I think I'm a guy that just cares a lot about other people. Um, even sometimes to his own detriment. Mm, it's profound. So. It's well said. What in, in those formative years, at, at, at whatever parts of the spectrum, and I'm not sure if it's helpful to say like positive or negative or good and bad. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure if that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But in the maybe the extreme of the polarity of the, your experience, what portraits or snapshots mm-hmm. emerge of like, oh my God, this one time we did this thing or my gosh, I was rattled when, um, what to, to, to get to the point where you're a 
18 year old, I think you used the word flailing <laughs> young man mm-hmm. who was unsure and mm-hmm. was afraid of religious guilt and was, was trying to find his way. Like, of course we all were then and still are. Um, and of which we both have one of those humans on yeah. <laughs> who share our last name who are doing that themselves now, which is a, uh, different but also haunting experience mm. and wonderful mm-hmm. um that being said like what what scenes emerge in your mind around man these things like really shaped me or stuck with me or hung with me or defined me to a degree uh, are we talking about like early childhood like yeah things that brought me to uh, 18 yeah yeah and sure. and like was there a vacation was there a moment mm-hmm. in the mountains was mm-hmm. there was there a moment where you were like, man, this is, this is broken or mm. this is beautiful mm. <laughs> or somewhere in between that helped um, shape who I am, shape today. that 18 year old man mm. who was trying to figure out what he wanted to do? Oh, sure. Yeah. There's a, a few snapshots um, come to mind immediately. And I'm not sure if they're right or wrong, but that's right. Th- things that, things that shaped me uh, being 11 years old. Uh, you know, admittedly a pudgy kid that uh, just kind of like living his life. So 11 years old, my dad takes me on my first 14er. Uh, Define 14er for those. Okay, who don't so know. a 14er uh, for anybody that might not know is a is a mountain over 14,000 feet. Colorado has, depending on who you ask, between 52 and 54 mm. peaks over 14,000 feet. And you can define them different ways. You know has to be kind of freestanding on its own. can't be connected to another 14er and just like a little bump or whatever. Um, So 54 14ers. And I grew up right at the base of the San Juan Mountains, which has a bunch of them. And like from my door, I could look out and see three of them prominently. Um, They just sort of stare at you in the face. Mm -hmm. And so some of them are technical climbs. um, And some of them are just you know, really nice trails that, that go up for a long time until you're finished. Mm. And I, um, so I expressed an interest to my dad in going to hike, uh, my first 14er, because how hard could it be? Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, At 11. Spoiler alert, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. Um, Your dad an outdoors? My dad had, my, my dad was an outdoorsman back when he was uh, like a, a young man. Uh, he would, he would um, do some mountaineering in the uh, Cascades. So he hiked in the Cascades. He had a climbing accident. I think that spooked him from going further with it. Um, he really took a hard fall and had to mm. had to like go through physical therapy and relearn how to walk. Uh, yeah. That's my memory of that. But Colorado 14ers are not walking up glaciers. You're walking on a trail most of the time. And so his best friend started him hiking, and I think he just wanted to pass it on with me. So we drove an hour and a half from our home to to uh, near Lake City, where we, um, you know, we camped for the night. Just the two of you. Just the two of us. Okay. Slept in the back of this little Chevy S10 pickup truck. You wanted a snapshot, so all of these things. I love it. Little. These, these are the details that go through my mind. We ate hot dogs over a fire <laughs> the night before. <laughs> Super healthy. Uh, we woke but up amazing. Oh, of course, good okay. memories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go to sleep. Wake up in the morning way too early. It's really cold. Mm. Every morning in Colorado is really cold. And we set off on this uh, trail. And bless my dad's heart, uh, 
he, <laughs> I think he, he figured out what he was getting into really early because we walked kind of down and across this little meadow, flat ground, and I think went 20 feet up the first most, you know, just slightest incline, and I started asking when was our first stop going to be, you know, almost breathlessly. <laughs> he went, uh, not for a long time. So, so we just started walking up. You walk up and up and up, and, and if you've hiked a 14er before, you almost always start in the trees. You're walking through the forest, can't see where you are, and as you get higher and higher, you know, it's this kind of exercise in patience. You're, you can't see anything. You go up, just next foot in front of the other, up, up, up. And then you notice the trees getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Finally, you break out into this meadow, and you've come above tree line, and everything is illuminated. So I remember breaking out into this beautiful green meadow, little streams running through it, patches of snow on the peaks around us, and just going like, oh, wow. Like, you are in the mountains. You are in the wilderness. Uh, nobody else is around. The peak uh, was called Handy's Peak. Um, and so it was at that moment I'm having a great time, probably 12,000 feet, mm. walking across this beautiful grassy meadow. And then, um, <laughs> which is generally true in most 14ers, the, the final 2,000 feet is always challenging. You're above 12,000 feet, which is taller than Mount Hood, in um, in Oregon, so you're up there. You start walking up the trail again, and I remember with about 500 feet to go, I was done, and I I burst into tears. Uh, little 11 year old uh, me um, just turned around, sat down, and just said, "I I can't go any further." <clears throat> and my dad came up with me as he did mm. throughout the entire day, and I love him for it. And he just said. Yes, you can. One foot in front of the other. One more step. One more step. Took my backpack off my shoulders, put it on his own shoulders, carried it, and literally put his hand on the small of my back and pushed me one step at a time. One more step. One more step. One more step. Until there were no more steps, and you finally break onto the summit, and you there's nothing else except... There's a view everywhere, 360-degree view, both of where you came, what's on the other side. And I, I think in that moment mm. I was hooked. Mm. That was a big moment for me because I go back to that moment often in my own adult life about things, these little mile markers about like, okay, this is, this is who you are. Mm. Yeah, you live in Kansas City, but like your heart, your heart belongs to Western Colorado. Um, that little boy fell in love with the mountains that day and, uh, has not stopped loving them since. So, so that was mm. a big, that was a big shaping moment for me. There were other moments where I left my bike outside one day and it got stolen and I got, I got yelled at for that. I think, I think probably <laughs> rightly so. If I put myself <laughs> into my mom's shoes, my mom, um, let you have it a little bit. Let me have it yeah. pretty pretty good. I felt deep shame in that moment. I think the shame came from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't about the bike. It was about it was just about existence. So shame has been something that I've it's been a theme of my life, and for no reason other than just like you know, doesn't religion tell you that you are nothing? So boy, opening bad. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, bad, yeah, yeah. opening more 
more doorways here, but um, that was a really shaping moment because on the flip side of that, I remember that that kind of feeling of being so frustrated one day, another confrontation with my parents or just feeling like I wasn't behaving well enough that I, I got the invitation to go camping with some friends and I, I said, yes, I'll, I'll come camping. My parents went out of town somewhere. And so I, I was 16 and I drove way up into the wilderness um, and I parked my car and I got out and I got hammered for the first time. <laughs> But didn't tell anybody about it. I just, I just, that was my first act of like normal high school rebellion. And I had a blast. And also, <laughs> I didn't want to tell anybody about it. Sure. So. What was your drink of choice? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was malt liquor. Really? It was a 40 of malt liquor. <laughs> Which, and you obtained such malt liquor from where? Oh, I don't know. Somebody <laughs> had a, somebody had an older brother that awesome. bought the stuff and, I think it cost me seven dollars or something. So That's I. It's amazing. Uh, so I, I started. I started with with that, and, um, and and you know I I think I had human experiences that day, um, but those human experiences scared me because, you know, I'm going to catch a bad case of the sins if I keep mm. heading down that path. Mm. So. Ooh, so many. First <laughs> of all, first of all, thank you. Like, that's. Uh, these illustrations are helpful yeah, sure. to, to illuminate the, the parts of you that, um, and how, how, how those parts are formed and mm-hmm. shaped and, and influenced. And I'm, I'm hung up on, and I, I think in the best t- type of way on your, you and your father at the summit mm. <laughs> and you being like proverbially an inch away from the top mm. In context of this grand journey you had walked, which had to have taken how long? I mean, that's a 10-hour oh. day probably. Yeah, probably yeah. so. Up? Yeah. Uh, probably not 10 hours up. Six up? Yeah. Ten, four down, whatever? Yep. It's a long day. It's you, You've you've embraced most of the suck yes. <laughs> already. And to have someone come along and not only give the lip service of help, like the... Hey, you can do it. It's fine. Like yeah. the, the encouragement alone is awesome, right? Like, hey, you're you're fine, son. Keep going. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, like, that's not that's a beautiful thing. But the the picture that you painted in our minds of him physically removing something from you, mm-hmm. him physically assisting, mm-hmm. is like whoa. Yeah, and and of course you fell in love with the damn mountains that day. How could you have not? Right. Right. And and, and what what does that um, moment mean as a dad now, as a grown up, mm. which is weird. We've talked about this privately. It's like, man, we look around the room now, and it's like we're the grown ups. Yeah, I don't know how it <laughs> happened. So, so, <laughs> so, like, how do you? Um, and maybe there's not even an answer, but it's just it, it felt worth highlighting to me. Of, um, there's lots of talk, mm. rightfully so, mm-hmm. about empathy, mm. and like. And maybe you were the one who told me this. Like, don't tell me you're effing empathetic. Show me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and your dad did quite literally. He like he did. Yep. He showed you. Yeah, I am really grateful for that moment. <clears throat> it was a really really formative moment in a lot of ways. And I think about it. I think about it a lot. So I do have an 11 year old son. He's my youngest right now. Um, he's got special needs. He is. He's been through a lot medically. 
Um, I think about that little boy. What would I do for that little boy? I would do anything for that little boy. I think about my older boys who have gone through high school now. Uh, one is a freshman in college. One is just about to graduate. Uh, I'd do anything for them. Like the heart of a father. Literally anything. Anything, yeah. 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 Um, like I'd show up middle of the night. Like what, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, the heart of a father, I think, is it's a strange thing to launch kids, right? Because they are your little boys and you're their hero for a long time and you get older and older and then the reward for being a good dad is to send them away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the gut punch of watching your son go to college for the first time, proud as you might be, but like you have, you have had the hand on the small of that back for a long time, just the encouraging or the, hey, stay steady here or hey, stay in line here, or get your damn homework done, whatever it is. Um, get off your damn phone. Get off the phone, or, yeah, or be careful with your phone. Like, yeah, you know, right. so right. there's a universe there that punishes you if you go mm. too far. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that there's something there. I think that there's something to be said. And there was a very physical mm. and practical example that my dad showed me that day of just, like, literally pushing my pudgy self up the hill. I was not in great shape. You know, I'm 11, you know, <laughs> played soccer in the rec league or whatever and not well. So <laughs> I wasn't out like going for jogs or rock climbing or whatever. I wasn't honing my body or whatever, but it was the, it was the act of, Hey, just take the next right step. And so I've, I have said that to my boys do tomorrow, tomorrow, do today, today, take the next right step, do the next right thing. And when I get overwhelmed in life, I still recite that to myself sometimes. Well, you know, uh, it's tax season. Well, shit, <laughs> just do the next right thing, you know, or I've ha I have 50 things to do yeah. at work. Do the next right thing and do it the best you can and then do the next thing. So one bite of the elephant at a time. Yeah, so, that's right. I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to set the backdrop Sure. Of shame and what that means to you. And, and then, <laughs> yeah, easy, easy walk through, walk through these doors. Um, Great. Because really, I, I want to get to, okay, you were the 18-year-old, mm. three semester, then found your, who is, she's an amazing person, but who's now your ex-wife. Yeah. Um, I, I want to unpack that chapter mm. next. but But before we do... What's shame mean to you, and and mm. how has that um, another another softball? Right. I know. <laughs> um, and how how has how has that served? I don't always served isn't always like a mm. happy thing. How has that functioned as a? Um, how has that been in service to your life? Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um, easy, easy, easy one. And, and let me let me before while you're gathering your thoughts, mm -hmm. I think for people listening, like there's what I'm what I'm hopeful to start to articulate and normalize is shame is a powerful current, mm. and it runs rampant. Mm -hmm. At least it does in my life, mm -hmm. and that unaware source of energy. Mm control so much shit yes yeah <laughs> subconsciously consciously deliberately um in all of the ways 
if not known or understood or talked about or normalized, it becomes, it becomes a monster really, at least it was for me. Yep. Um, and so I'd love with kind of that intention in mind for you to share whatever comes to your mind. Sure. Thank you for the moment to gather my thoughts. (laughs) Uh, because I want to make a distinction here. I think that you can feel ashamed of something that you feel remorse for. And I'm not sure that I'm talking about that. What I'm talking about is, when I say shame, it is the overarching, deep-seated belief about oneself that that person, that, that yourself is, is bad. That I am inherently and utterly broken. So here we go, theological talk, right? And, and I, I think that I'm speaking fairly because uh, I talked to my dad the other day, and and we unearthed some of this, and we've done this many times, and he is he's very fair, and I think he's been very, um, he's done a lot of the inner work to go, mm. oh, you got that from me. Like, mm. I bestowed that on you. Like, mm. you get these little, these little imprints from your parents, right? Right or wrong. Uh, and the joke when I first became a dad was, well, what am I going to send my kid to therapy for? That's right. Oh, well, I can think of a lot of things that I'm sending my kids to therapy (laughs) for. Um, but the overarching belief in my house was one that I felt right or wrong, whether they meant to or not, but it was that behavior mattered over everything else that my, my worth, my self-worth was tied to how well I was doing to some set of standards, sliding scale. And it really was a sliding scale. Um, so the, the culture that I was raised in, uh, as I, as I went from probably age 11, about that time that I was getting pushed up the hill through the end of high school and even into college was, um, avoid, avoid sin at all costs. Um, but also bad news Everything you do is sinful. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, so so this yeah. was the age, Justin, yeah. of um, um, the term is purity culture. Um, so there there were big conferences staged around oh, this yeah. idea that like you are went to some of those. Yeah, yeah, where where you are. I think it was probably well intentioned to keep kids from hurting themselves or whatever. But you take these this group of horny teenagers and you tell them don't date. Don't explore, don't have sex, don't um, don't fool around. Don't even think about it because if you think about it, you know that's just as bad as as doing the deed or whatever. The problem with that is like biologically, you're just a you're just a dumpster fire in your head at that point of just like I can't avoid it. You know, what do I? I am so screwed up. Yes, because I'm being told not to. And it but was, what do I do with this? Right, and yeah. it's not. Purity culture is one example of it, right? I am so screwed up, though, that everything I do in my head um, is, quote-unquote, broken. And so you go and you beg God for forgiveness, but I have always had the belief that God is disappointed. Like, that's where the shame, that's where the root shame is. It's just like, I'm bad. God is disappointed. Yeah, God loves you, but, like, you just get your shit together, man. Shape up, bro. Shape up, or, you know... Just, yeah, fine. I love you, but, like, I love you with a caveat of, like, you could be doing so much better. Be Be better. better. Be better. And so I took that into college. I couldn't escape it. Um, 
looking back, it's just this, I was in a prison of my own making, perpetuating these thoughts in my head. And then once I would behave well, the guilt would lift because I'm, I must be doing something pretty well. You're performing. Yeah. I'm performing. You're doing good. It's performance-based life, performance-based living. Uh, the problem is human beings don't always perform well. You d we don't always do the right thing, and we're complicated. Um, so as I've moved into my 40s, I look back and I go, oh, mm. the compassion I need to have for that kid, but mm. also compassion for the numberless people that have gone through that and have come to the point now in their 40s of going, Oh, that really fucked me up. I'm sorry. I cuss like a sailor, so I'm Bring, just going to do it. Yeah, you're you're free to cuss like. Okay. A <laughs> um, uh, I beg grace from anybody that finds offense in that, but um, I, yeah, I look back and I go, that was really really fucked up. And it's funny because the spearhead of the purity culture movement has it's come renounced out, all has of, renounced yeah, all of it. Yeah, yeah. And so now, as a father, I go, oh, I have the chance to not encourage, you know, just limitless living in my children, but to be like, but to be like, Hey man, be, be human. It's okay. It's okay. Here's open arms for you. There's a soft place for you to land here to do that in my own self. Also, it is a, it is a challenge to, to speak into that shame. So that's where shame I think comes from. That's how I would define it. The belief, the deep seated belief that at my core, I'm not good. And I'm still untying those those knots. I'm still pulling that thread. I probably will for the rest of my yeah. life. Yeah. But it feels a little better than it did. Uh, less white hot than yeah. it did back in my 20s and 30s. So Of course. I, again, am grateful mm -hmm. for you sharing. And it t to me, it ties and starts to give color to 16-year-old Jeremy in the mountains, mm. crushing malt liquor, in the Oldsmobile or whatever you were driving. What were you driving? I mean, I wasn't. I was not drinking and driving. To be to be clear, but I, uh, I, I was in my my 1987 Chevy S10. Yeah, you were little two door four cylinder mm. pickup truck that had, I think it was four. It was a manual four speed, no CD or tape player. Mm. I don't think CD players were even. They were very expensive back then. Um, they plugged into the cigarette lighter or something. Buddy, I had an AM radio. That's yeah. all. That's awesome. So yeah. Did I crush some um, talk radio? Yeah, uh -huh. I would crush some talk radio. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I drove that, and I drove to this place called Escalante Canyon between uh, Montrose, where I lived, and a town called Grand Junction, um, which is the the quote unquote big city <laughs> in the area. I think it's eighty thousand people. Um, so Escalante Canyon is this turnoff, and then you drive like twelve miles into the desolate, uh, arid kind of desert wilderness of Western Colorado. So you've got these mountains around, and then in the valley it is scrub brush and cactus and adobe hills. And ultimately, like, I was really close to the border of Utah. Um, so, like, there's these sandstone cliffs, and so it's a really, really cool landscape. But that's where I, I pulled up to, and my friends were all there, and they – Bro fived me and I felt I felt really great sin in that night. So <laughs> <laughs> But my guess is and again, this is not because your parents were, were, were bad no. humans with bad intentions. My guess is you didn't go home and say, Guess what I did last night? Oh, absolutely not. No. I don't think that I I mean I can point to three or four moments of 
of outward, like, quote-unquote, normal high school rebellion mm. uh, as a teenager that I, that I hid away. I snuck out of my house when I was 15 with my friends, walked down the street to these little adobe hills outside of the development, uh, sat down, and I smoked marijuana for the first time in my life. <laughs> it was terrible weed, and also, um, and also, like I don't, I don't remember it being a great experience, but I remember like needing to go like feel bad for a, you know, I like feel like I was I was doing something, so I go out, succumb to the peer pressure, smoke weed for the first time, not a super great experience. Came home, my sister, who's uh, two and a half years younger than me, saw my bloodshot eyes and was like, "You've been out smoking weed." Like, no, I haven't. So tired. So I'm just really <laughs> tired. Go to bed. She tells my parents, he got up, he sm- he snuck out, and he smoked weed. And they're like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's good. They asked me. Mm. And I just, you know, no, no, she's crazy. She's crazy. So uh, there was that. There was the camping trip <laughs> where I drank. There's another camping trip where I got very, very drunk, which was a terrible idea because we camped on the edge of a cliff. Oh, and uh, that's when I experienced whiskey for the first time. <laughs> just knucklehead. This is not a stabilizing substance. No, 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 it was not. I can speak from experience. Uh, I, um, yeah, I didn't tell anybody about those things. Yeah. Those were my experiences. Yeah. yeah. So that was also the experience of compartmentalizing my life. Right. And also like a deep distrust of what my parents would think of me mm. back then. And looking at my parents as humans now, I can go, oh, well, that was a mistake. Because like. They, they probably would have probably would have yeah, of course they would have been they would have been upset or whatever but at least I would have been known yeah and that would have felt better yeah. like even in all my stuff it's better to be known than like unknown to shove it away or bury yeah. it down and so I think like, man you said it so beautifully I think the at least in my experience as well the shame starts to create segments starts to create mm-hmm. pockets starts to create disconnection starts to create isolation I mean my version of your st- drinking story was like hey buddy of mine had a ton of playboys his dad had a right. shit ton of playboys in his closet and he's like do you want to take one home i'm like oh god i'm so bad right i can't i don't do that i'm i go to youth group that's right yeah <laughs> and so instead of talking about a very normal mm-hmm. experience as a 13 year old boy i took the playboy home ripped the liner of my waterbed up and shoved it in between the frame and the waterbed yeah and guess what? Nobody knew but me. Yeah. And and you're you're the same, the shame message of, man, you're screwed up. You're broken. You're flawed. You're bad. Yeah. And you're isolated and disconnected from yes a source of good, is is a nobody told you those things. Right. Your dad and mom didn't, or your church didn't say you are, you are without love. That's right. But that good night, man. That's a powerful current and I, I think and you and I talked about this while we were waiting for the sunrise the other day on a work project but and, and again this isn't a theological debate specifically mm. it is a learning though for me mm-hmm. as a mid you know not quite mid 40s but I keep saying that as a 42 year old man to go wait mm. I wasn't given the tools mm-hmm. to understand my own humanity right <laughs> and my own self and that is not un godlike right unchristlike mm-hmm. it is not anti-christianity right it is actually beautifully woven into um 
all sorts of theological teachings, specifically the Bible, about knowing yourself, yeah. understanding what makes you very human. Mm. And without, and, and this book we were talking about by David Benner, refer, it's called The uh, the Gift of Knowing Yourself, mm-hmm. talks about you can't really know, you can know God from a head knowledge perspective, but you can't experience God without experiencing yourself mm-hmm. and all of the weirdness that we've got in us. And vice versa, you can't really know yourself unless you know God. Those two things are mm. uh, beautifully intertwined and, and deeply connected. And when one severed, <laughs> and and you are you are to memorize facts and figures and dates and people, yep, and and assent to them with your head and 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 told to be good, yep, directly or indirectly, yep, that creates a chasm in the soul that is really hard to repair. Oh, impossible to repair, and yet the human soul is longing for an experience, I think, mine is, longing for this experience of being known, being loved, being cherished. That's right. And so my thoughts about church are complicated when I look back because I segmented myself. Uh, I hid stuff away. Yep. I shoved it away. Me too. Because if it's, if it's invisible, it can't get you. The problem is that's not, that's not reality, <laughs> right? Like you shove things away, you shove who you are away. You shove your humanity down. You shove your your sin or, or whatever. You start keeping mm. secrets. Mm. You start keeping secrets. Mm. Those secrets. Um, uh, so mm. songwriter Andy Gullihorn, right? Mm. Um, who almost feels like a dear friend to me. Same. Because uh, his music is, it, it is decidedly Christian, but he does not shy away from these kind of matters. So when he talks about... Um, you know, you don't carry secrets to the grave. The secrets carry you. Uh, he's absolutely right. Um, and so it's not its not necessarily that, that I was uh, hiding away, you know, uh, drinking one night. A murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, at least that we know. Of I you. drank one night. This isn't the stuff that's keeping me up at night. What it yeah. was was a pattern of, right. of, uh, of feeling a certain way, but hiding who yeah. I was and my feelings. And over 25 or 30 years of doing that, hiding that away, pushing that down, it becomes like the pressure builds up to the point where you start to crack and you start to lose it a little bit. Mm. And the experience of losing that for me, um, I think I was 37, six years ago or so, and I just threw the baby out with the bathwater and I said, fuck it, uh, I'm done with church, I'm done. Like I just, I gave up the... The one more straw went onto the back. I said I can't do it anymore. Um, Is the straw worth talking about? I don't think it was okay. even. I don't okay. think it was even like a thing, Justin. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, I think it was just like uh, I have been living a certain yeah. way for so long, yeah. and I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I have tried to avoid at all costs all of these sins. So, a couple little things that flash through my mind as you're talking. Uh, there's this experience that my heart and soul has wanted to have, I think, for my entire life, to be seen, to be known, to be loved, mm. despite all the things that I am. And so this scene in, I think it's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, one of the chronicles of Nar- Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes these books, and they are, I might be getting the book wrong here, but, um, and I think that the character's name here is Eustace. Um He's this really like sour kid, hmm. and 
C.S. Lewis scholars can DM me and probably yell at me for all <laughs> how I'm butchering this. Here's the allegory, though, because C.S. Lewis is like this master at taking big stories, you know, out of the Bible, spinning them a different way into this beautiful kind of narrative where Eustace has basically, um, he's been so soured and cast off. He has developed scales all over his body, hard, bad scales, and they can't come off. They're almost like dragon mm-hmm. scales. And Aslan, the, the, the character that, that depicts Christ uh, from the Christian story, uh, finally has to come to Eustace and peels all of those scales off, sees him for the first time. And that is the longing in me mm. is to be, is to be, yeah, I'm scaly or I'm, I'm human, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm messed up, but I need, I need to be cherished, seen, to have the scales pulled off. That's the deep need also. It is the need for my soul to be seen and known mm. and to be delighted in at the same time. So I think that there, in my life, right or wrong, trace trace back the big thread through Christianity, and it's not universally true uh, of all Christians. So I'm I'm not trying to make blanket statements, but for me and for a lot of other people that I know right now, uh, we were harmed by the notion that if we just shape up, if we just do the right thing, we will then be we will earn more of God's favor. God is disappointed in you right now. God is filled with wrath and wants to wants to harm you right here and right now. So shape up or else God is going to hurt. He's going to hurt you. Um, how, how unbiblical is that as I look back and I just go, oh, the experience is not even one that matters with behavior at all. And what would that have done for my own, my own tender childlike heart back in the day of like, oh, man, you're feeling these things. It's okay. Or, oh, you uh, you get angry sometimes. It's okay to be angry. You don't have to hide your anger away. Oh, you feel, um, you know, <laughs> you, feel, you feel anxious. You feel Uncertain. horny. You feel, <laughs> you know, you feel all of these things. Hey, you're 15. Yeah. It's okay. Like, of course you do. Seen and known <laughs> yes. and cherished. Yeah. And behavior doesn't even matter anymore. Like, um, of course, I don't want my kids to get somebody pregnant right now. Like, I don't want, I don't want th- there to be this kind of like out of bounds experience for my kids. Don't but go for them to, for you to help them make sense of what the hell it is that's going on inside of them. Heroin is not a human experience that anybody should probably try, but feeling anxiety is, and it's okay. It's okay. Your dad's here. I love you. I felt anxiety too. Come here. It's okay. Let's talk. Um, you feel shame. I see it in you. It's okay. I love you no matter what happens here. I was 36 years old, mm-hmm. and I called my therapist. I was texting him frantically. I was like, what the hell is going on? Mm. And, and we finally talked. It took forever. <laughs> I was like, wait, aren't I the only patient you're seeing? <laughs> um, and... He, he said a version of, he's like, well, what are you, where are you experiencing it in your body? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Nobody's ever asked me that. And then I start to go like, I can't, like, I can't breathe and my chest hurts and I can't, I can't take a deep breath. And he was like, yeah, you have, that's called anxiety. Mm-hmm. 
I was like, huh? Yeah. I'm not anxious. Yeah. I've, I am fine. Right. And as a grown man, I, I'm literally Brooke took me, mm. she thought I was having, having a heart attack because mm. I'd never discussed, I'd never felt it before. Yeah. Of course I had anxiety forever, but I numbed it. I'd coped with it. I'd shoved it down into the recesses of my soul so that I wouldn't feel. Mm. And the feelings emerged and mm-hmm. I was like, holy hell, what do yeah. I do? Well, it's what a, do I do? That's a tough day. It's a tough moment when that happens. But, you know, again, and Andy Gullihorn talking about how that blade of grass um, came pushing up through the, the concrete. Um, and you, you can't hide it forever. It will right. find its way to the surface. Um, so there's a lot of inner work that needs to be done for all of these, like, um, post-evangelical kids that don't know what to do with uh, with real human feelings and have actually had to silence those for so many years. I love the place that I am right now. I hear it in you too of this like uh, giving, giving grace and, um, and also some honesty and some light back into the 1990s versions of ourselves. Um, it has made me more empathetic toward other people in their stories I used to be so hyper judgmental about people that I did not think were following the rules as well as I could pretend to or whatever. Um, it, it actually kept people far away from me. And I feel like my arms are wide open now. Anybody, any story, any uh, experience that, you know, that you've had, you know, whatever you have, have lived. Like I've lived, I've lived things too. Let's let's both be human, you know. Um, let's find common ground here. Um, so I actually really love that. I I don't have such a tight fist anymore around this need to be right or have have anything figured out. Yeah. So uh, so I am thankful for going through experiences like that. Come out on the other side, not like I'm fixed or anything, but yeah. like yeah, I've experienced anxiety. Tell me more about yours. Oh, man, been there. Yeah, I didn't sleep well a couple nights ago. You didn't sleep last night. Okay, high five. Welcome. That sucks. <laughs> that sucks. I felt those things too. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, a Jim Detmer who I love. I love his work. Uh, he's an older fella who writes wisdom literature through the form of leadership, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just wonderful. But he he has this phrase. In one of his leadership books, he talks about, he's like, hey, there's a field beyond right and wrong, and I love meeting people there. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, I'm not interested. Yeah. I, no longer. And yeah. he has a, he has a really, uh, he, he, he had a falling out, quote mm. unquote, as a moral failure in a mm-hmm. leadership role in a church mm-hmm. and a big one, right? And, and it's like his stories, my story to a degree, his stories, all of our stories to a degree. Yeah. And now he's going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I was so hyper vigilant on being right. Yes. And on defining who was in the tribe and who was making the cut. Yes. And uh, he's like, I'm not interested. Yeah. I'm interested in love and acceptance and grace and compassion and yeah. understanding. And in those moments of like division, mm. which is so pervasive of course, in our culture now even, yeah. but not just the church. Um, and he's like, hey, there's a field beyond right and wrong, and I'll, I'd love to meet you there. Yeah. Man, <laughs> I love that. Powerful, quote. dude. You tattoo that on me, please. That'd be great. So I think. speaking of tattoos, yeah. do you have any? 
<laughs> Hard pivot. <laughs> yes, yes, and I got them all this year. So uh, you, you talk about like a like an outward sign of permission granted in this season of life mm. to just like uh, to be human. I think that I always wanted to get tattoos if I'm fair. Mm. And, and then, um, but I was so locked down tight over like, well, I couldn't possibly, you know, am I going to be cool enough or what? Am I going to get the right things? I'm going to overthink it. So yeah, I have, um, one, two, three, four, five tattoos now. It's been a good year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but they are profoundly meaningful to me. What do they mean? Well, I have, I have different, I mean. Listen, I'm the director of Story for Guilds, so they all have uh, roots in story. Um, my first one that I got is this little, little line drawing. It's very small, probably an inch and a half tall. With this little uh, cartoon character, cartoonish character. It's on my left forearm. It's the first tattoo that I got. I got it with my then 18-year-old son, who's now 19, um, uh, right before he went to college. Um, and I said, what the heck? Let's go get a tattoo. So he got one half of it. I got one half of it. And it is from his favorite movie. Mm. It's this little, like, uh, anime movie called Princess Mononoke. And these characters represent, uh, they represent good, just to, to boil it down. I don't know what the character is called. I've seen half of the movie. I love my son. <laughs> Amen. He loves these characters. Amen. They represent good. They represent good to the planet. They represent good to creation they represent restoration they represent kind of um an experience of redemption that's what i took from what he told me but mostly i'm like micah i love you i want to remember you in the days that you're gone coming up so i have lots of times i look at that tattoo and i go there's a little bit of comfort in me knowing that he has the other half of it out there so that's the first one that i got and to commemorate my second son, I got on my <laughs> other forearm uh, for my 17-year-old Tyler. Um, he's my middle son. He, uh, I love all my children so much. And, and, and I love Tyler uh, as, my, as my middle son. He is, he's got a biting wit. He is fiercely independent. He is smart as a whip. But, like, just smart about life, right? Like, he's who I want to be when I grow up. Tells the truth, doesn't hide shit. Um, I love it. <laughs> but he's also the middle child. <clears throat> you know, he's got a he's got a high performing older brother who was good um, at a lot of things in school. Uh, and I feel like, right or wrong, he lived in that that kid's uh, shadow in his high school career. And now this this senior year of his, I'm seeing him flourish, mm. and I am enamored with where he's going in his life. He's also the guy that I talk Chiefs football with, mm. and, and and so it's just been really fun to connect with him on that. Anyways, I got I got this uh, character from Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's a little bit bigger tattoo on my right forearm. It's got color in it. Fantastic Mr. Fox was our family movie. We would watch it once or twice a year, it feels like. Um, I love Wes Anderson movies, and I love, um, I love the memories of getting to watch that with the kids, and... There's a character in it. He's the son. His name is Ash. He's a little, he's a little smaller. Tyler is not smaller. It doesn't matter. But he, he is in this, on this quest to be um, kind of seen and known. And so he puts on this bandit hat. And um, 
uh, it, it's not a real bandit hat. He cuts holes in a tube sock and he puts on a he puts it on trying to go experience life with his dad. The image in my head is this kid. You know, I'm just different. I'm just just different. So I have this little cartoon character on my other forum. Makes me think of Tyler. He's different. He's great. He's beautiful. I'm really excited to see uh, where he goes. That was my second. My third was just I like the tattoo design. <laughs> so I was like, let's do this. Uh, so it's on my left, uh, my left arm on the outside of the forearm. Nobody wants to hear about like my visual descriptions of like yeah they do uh, I t- do tattoos. Uh, so it's a it's a it's an image. It's like a an American traditional tattoo kind of art style image of a, a hand holding a knife, but it's attached to a shackle that has then been chopped. So I saw, uh, I've met the tattoo artist before. He's, he's like 24, young mm. kid, mm. Uh, really cool kid, had some profound talks with him. Um, and, and so when I follow him on Instagram and saw this design of like, hey, I'd love to put this on somebody's arm, then I emailed him uh, or DM'd him uh, immediately. I want that one. Mm. And the, the thought was... Um, the, the, the word phrase that came to my mind when I saw that was free but still fighting. Dude. So. Uh, Love that. Because uh, I'm not done, right? Uh, still a dad. Still more life to live. Have to keep showing up. So that one's kind of for me. Mm. My last two are my most um, extensive and um, were certainly the biggest uh, time investment to get done. Um, and uh they do tell a story and it's a scary uh story to tell because nobody nobody wants to do this um Mm. you know or you you hear the horror stories of like putting a tattoo on your arm and then you regret later because it's about a relationship that you're in that ends and then you've got these tattoos on your skin or whatever (laughs) linda crossed out linda crossed out yeah that's right (laughs) and if i was to ever get these covered up uh it would be an it would be um, it would be a big cover-up job. Yeah, they're not small, bro. No, they're not. You rolled into square work, and I was like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> you He's went from now. zero to tatted in yeah. six seconds. <laughs> I, have, I have two probably six-inch tall um, color tattoos on each one of my biceps. Um, story that goes back with this. This opens up way more doors, Justin. Mm. I'm sorry, man. Here we go. Um, I love them. March... 20, no, it was February 22nd of 2022. Um, I, I'm divorced. I'm, you know, newly divorced, but went through a fairly lengthy separation. Um, but you get divorced and, and shit gets real for you real fast. I'm by myself. Um, am I going to find love again? Am I going to find, um, you know, am, am I worth it? Because divorce is a painful thing. When, when things fall apart, you have this life. It's no longer your life anymore. So you're picking up the pieces. And also, I'm turning 42. So it's February 22nd, 20, uh, 2022. I've tried my hand at a little bit of dating, both in separation and in divorce. Um, and, uh, you know, anybody that's tried this in this stage of life knows that you stub your toe a bunch of times and I met some great people and 
but I stubbed my toe, made mistakes. Um, and I, I also at times, you know, people dick you around sometimes and it, and it sucks. So I had this experience for nine months of chatting with this woman. She lives far away. So it'd be like a long distance thing, but like we were just kind of in each other's lives, became good friends. We met on a dating app, but we just became good friends. Anyways, we try our hand at dating right up around this time. And I was feeling momentum there and it just whiplashed really quick. So this is like early February that this happens. And Mm. so I am, I'm on my birthday licking wounds. Uh, and I spontaneously drove to my sister's cabin up in the mountains of Colorado, feeling alone, feeling despondent, feeling really afraid, and um, just to spark some hope in myself, by myself at 9,000 feet in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains of Colorado, I downloaded a dating app again. Just <laughs> sounds, boy, talk about a depressing scene. Just like me and a bottle of wine, you know, late at night, there's a blizzard outside. Just sort of that, that you see that meme sometimes of the guy just like despondently staring into the distance. <laughs> That's what I felt like. Mm. I pull open the, the dating app. I make a profile, whatever. I'm bored. And I start scrolling through. Okay, pause that story right now. That's the scene. I'm in a little A-frame cabin, 9,000 feet in Colorado. Uh you know, it's dark. I'm drinking red wine. So life can't be that bad. But um, uh, rewind for a second. There's a movie also by Wes Anderson, uh, directed by Wes Anderson, called Moonrise Kingdom. And there's a scene in there that stuck out to me. And you can look it up on YouTube right now. Uh, where the main character, who is a, a boy, his name is Sam. Sam Shikusky. Um He is a foster kid. And he is um, he's at this for lack of a better scene, he's in this big church and he's watching this play happen up front. There's like this theater production happening. He gets bored. You see kind of his imagination wandering off and he gets up and he walks out, kind of wanders down the halls and he stumbles into this dressing room where there are three different girls uh, getting their makeup done. Uh, It's not one of those like adolescent scenes where he stumbles in and sees all these girls naked or whatever. It's not that at all. They're all like in their costumes. And also these kids are like 12. So uh, he stumbles in and they're all putting their makeup on. And uh, he makes a little noise as he stumbles in. They all three turn around. And he just goes, what kind of a bird are you? Because they've got these bird wings on. And all three of them are are dressed as birds. What kind of a bird are you? Mm. And one starts going, I'm a robin. The other one goes, I'm a dub. And he said, no, 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 no. I said, what kind of a bird are you? He points his fingers out uh, right at the girl in the middle. And she stares at him for a second. And she goes, I'm a raven. And I love that image because it is like, uh, it sets off, off this kind of like very endearing whirlwind kind of adventure romance between these two. It's very innocent, like 12 to 13 year old kids or whatever that run away together and they're going to get married. They want to get married and they're just on the run from their parents and all the, you know, people that are looking for them. I love the movie and I love that image. So I'm scrolling back to, back to the cabin of despair. (laughs) I, I'm, 
I am scrolling through this dating app, feeling despondent, not knowing which way is up. And I remember seeing her for the first time. I remember seeing her face for the first time. And I remember, I don't know the mystical nature of God or the universe or whatever whispering to me, but that scene flashes through my head. Well, what kind of a bird are you? And so I'm looking at this beautiful woman's face far out of my league. And I go, what kind of a bird are you? So I obviously try to match with this woman and I see that she's from Western Colorado, but she lives in Kansas city. And I go, that's the weirdest thing ever. She grew up an hour away from where I did when I was a kid. Um, So I sent her a message, admittedly a very nice, charming message. And, and then I went to sleep and uh, drove home the next day. I think it was just after midnight that I sent her that first message. And I didn't hear back from that woman for four and a half weeks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't ever let her live it down. But on the other side of it was a, was a woman who was overwhelmed by the dating app, didn't like it. It wasn't, wasn't a great, it's not a great scene out there for some people. And it was, it, that certainly was the case for her. And so she finally gets back on. A friend of hers coaxes her to get back on, sees this message, and responds to me. So I'm standing in my kitchen, and I see her face pop up, and I go, oh, oh my God, it's her. And um, I wrote her back, and that's my, that's my Susie. That's my raven. And there I am going, what kind of a bird are you? And just with all the earnestness in me and all the little boy, like, hope and some kind of spark. I don't know, I don't know how to explain love or why I've uh, been so fortunate to find it again. But she, um, she agreed to go on a date with me and then has continued to show up and reach for me ever since. So I'm, I'm mm. in a 10-month-long relationship. I am engaged to this woman to be married. Um, this woman has... Uh, has children, and I love her children. This woman is, uh, I mean, enamored with who she is, her her heart, her heart for humanity, and the ways that she has made me softer and has uh, poked her finger into my cynicism and into my kind of, into my defense mechanisms that are like, stay away from me, I'm scared. And she says, that's okay, I'm reaching for you. Mm. Um, her name is Melissa, and... So after I got engaged to her and she said yes, um, I went and got these tattoos. And one of them is the, is the boy pointing his finger. And the words uh, on this say, what kind of a bird are you? And then on the other bicep is the image of the girl wearing her feathers and her wings who has turned around and said, I'm a raven. And it makes me think about her and just the immense amount of gratitude that I have to be living through this season of life that I am right now. So good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, no one can top your stories of tattoos. (laughs) I love it, dude. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, man. Again, as always, it's, um, (laughs) it's grateful. I'm grateful to hear you share. Not that I anticipated that you wouldn't. Um, and I wasn't entirely sure where, that would all go, but I'm glad it went there, man. Oh, and uh, I'm glad you shared the story. Yeah. I'm glad I've you found a raven, too, bro. <laughs> oh, man, me too. Pinch me. Pinch me. What, uh, 
only because we're going to be jammed on time here towards the end. Sure. Um, we're definitely going to do this again because there's so many windows and doors you opened and we walked through lots of them <laughs> together, but sure. there's still plenty more. Yeah. Um, what makes you come most alive today? And finish, say that. Mm. And and then what I want to hear, like, you bet one step at a time, do the, do the next right thing. It's beautiful. Mm. But, like, as you survey the horizon mm. of the Jeremy Parsons story, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, what makes you come most alive, and where are you headed? Man, what makes me come most alive? I don't think it's one thing. Um, if if somebody does come alive with one thing, uh, good for them. Find that one thing and just keep coming alive, right? But I think I feel like I come alive in a lot of different scenarios. And I'll, I'll come alive sometimes just in making somebody laugh or uh, a really long and deep talk with Melissa. Or I come alive, I come alive with my kids. I come alive when I play soccer with my son uh, out, on the, out on the soccer field. Um, I come alive when I... Uh, talk movies with my oldest son or football with my middle son. Like, uh, being a dad makes me come alive. Man, I still come alive every time I go to the wild places. I have to. Uh, my soul needs it. So, you know, thank God I have roots in Colorado, so most of my vacation times are are, are west. They're not, you know, I'm not driving to Minnesota uh, to the forests up there. I'm not driving uh, south to Arkansas to the forest down there. Those are beautiful places. And I've been both of those places, but the place that has my heart still is Colorado, particularly Western Colorado. So I'll go visit my sister or my dad and I will look at the mountains mm-hmm. and I will, I will remember my childhood and I will, I will listen to the whisper of uh, that the pine trees make when wind goes through the tops of them. And that will make me come alive. Uh, I will look at clear rivers and I will come alive. Mm-hmm. That, those are the things that make me come alive. So, I love that yeah. man. Where are you headed? Uh, I am engaged to be married. <clears throat> that's the easiest. It's the easiest thing right now. So, I love my job. Uh, I love the team here. That's not because you're. I'm talking to you as a friend, not my boss. That's right. Um, uh, I think it's. I think it's a great group, and I think that we have um, built a team that actually feels a little bit like to to not just center on the cliche, but feels like a family. Um, there are people on this team that are young enough to be my kids. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and they are more talented than me and smarter than me. And, me. and I have the opportunity to be, um, uh, to be a part of their life. Man, what a gift. What a gift that is. So, um, so I love the team that I'm, that I'm on. I'm in the process of buying a home right now in Midtown Kansas City. Uh, I made reference to uh, Melissa having children. I also have children. We need a house that fits a lot of children. And, um, and, and so we found one there, and it's going to be a big project, and it will probably take a lot of my free time mm. over the next <laughs> years, and that's okay. Uh, so where am I going in life? I, um, I am engaged. I am buying a home. I am planting deeper roots in Kansas City right now. Raising kids in a place makes mm. it home. Mm. 
And while the geography does not match the geography that's deep in my heart, it is home. Uh, it's become home. You know, we've got Mahomes. We've got... Uh, it's just a great city. It's mm. a great city to be a part of. It's going a great direction, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. So where am I going career-wise? Man, I don't know. I, I'm the... I love my job right now. I'm the director of story. I, I write more than I than I take photographs anymore, mm. um, which is my background. Um, I um, I get to know a lot of great people. It's a it's a wide variety of, of work tasks, and it demands a lot from me. Uh, it is it is pulling new areas of creativity out of me. And the thing that is most difficult about the job is believing that I am capable of pulling all these things off. Mm. Um, it's spinning a lot of plates at the same time. So, um, so, so that's the big challenge at this point. You know, it's not just doing one big job, you know, diving in deep. It is doing 12 big job, 12 big jobs. <laughs> and you need a, you need 200 words on, you know, a, th- this bio for a website, you know, shoot. Okay. I'll sit down and I'll just peck away to a keyboard until, until something comes out. So. What is it, to, to get pretty specific, what is it about your creative process and more, m- more specifically your writing process mm. that allows you to, to use your number 12? You're working on a project for a renovation, home renovation company. Mm-hmm. You work on a project for a major beef manufacturing company. You work on a project for an athletic apparel company. Mm-hmm. You work on a project for a bank. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, what is it about writing words on behalf of someone else? What is your process for that? Uh, I, I center on one quote again by C.S. Lewis, uh, and I'll butcher the quote again. But it has long been my my artistic, or it's been it's been the center point of my artistic uh, journey ever since um, I heard the quote for the first time. Credit to my ex-wife for unearthing this quote back in the day. But it became formative to to everything that I do. I think as an artist, and that is uh, in literature and art. Uh, uh, no man who desires originality will ever become original. But if you simply try to tell the truth, mm. you will nine times out of ten become original without even um, without even realizing it. Mm. the The point of that quote that I badly butchered is. Um, the, the point of that quote is tell the truth uh, that the, the people that we're partnering with right now in this job are already doing great things. I don't have to, I don't have to convince fabricate anybody. That. I don't have to fabricate yeah. anything, yeah. right? I just have to hold the mirror up and be like, here you are. This is who you are right now. And I get to do it in a voice that is, uh, it's a third-party voice from them. I'm not part of their organization. I just get to listen to who they are hold the mirror up and it's a really, really fun job to be like, yeah, like you're not just a roofing company. Like you're a, you're a people first company. You're a, you're a company because you love people. You love your workers. You love your customers. That's the heart of what you do. Not that you love roofs, right? Um, one narrow example, but you know, one of our biggest clients is, uh, is, um, you know, it's a multi-billion-dollar company, has eleven thousand employees all over the country, and and it would be easy to talk about what they do. You know, 
what they produce. But instead, I have seen over and over the value that they place on human life. And so uh, dig in a little bit further, uh, cut away the top layer of the onion and and peel it back and go, no, you are actually you are actually a human Mm -hmm. first organization. You are a um, you're an organization that that um, you're you're like fertile soil for these seed, these seedlings to plant and flourish in. That's what I've seen that company be. So uh, it's a really, really fun job, but it always starts with, okay, just tell the damn truth <laughs> and, and don't worry about flowery language. And it's a good thing I'm not, I don't, I, I really resist flowery language. Uh, I just want to say what the fuck the story is. It's right here. It's write a sentence. And sometimes it's just, it's that blunt in my head. Just write a damn sentence. You know, what am, what am, what are we trying to say here? So I say that after saying a lot of flowery language in this, <laughs> in this podcast. Oh my so. gosh, my gosh, I'm smiling so big. It's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful illumination into your process. Thank yeah. you. Um, <clears throat> let's wrap. Yeah, man. I don't want to, but we should. It's good. Uh, five questions, bro. Send okay. us on our way. What's your favorite t-shirt? Or your go-to T-shirt? My go-to T-shirt? I mean, the one that's most comfortable, and I think that that's the true mark of a good T-shirt, right? Yes, sir. Um, it a- actually came out of a job that I was doing for for Guild Collective. Like, we, we uh, one of our partners um, does work at a big music festival. And so, Strange Jobs showed up to the music festival and alternated time working that day, you know, producing video clips and going Listening to hear to band, Metallica. going to going to Metallica <laughs> live with seventy five thousand people, what a weird job, right? Like Amazing. wild. Um, but strangely enough, we were walking through the grounds, and there's a T-shirt laying on the ground. It's a festival T-shirt from this place, and Alex, um, coworker, picked it up and was like, "Whose T-shirt is? Like, I don't know. What size is it? Exactly my size." It's like. We looked around for a while. Nobody was there. Nobody was coming back. Uh, it was just laying there. It's meant so to be. It was meant to be. So <laughs> actually, I wear that shirt. I feel cooler than I am because I because I have a concert shirt on. You know, it's got a, a cool, uh, cool retro design. It's also really comfortable. So that's my favorite T-shirt that's right now. It's a wonderful story. Yeah. Uh, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? <laughs> just layups here, bro. Just softball layups. after softball here. Sleep better. Mm. Mm. Man, I listened to a song the other day by Andrew Peterson. Said that um, that homeboy's done some work too. Yeah, he sure has. Because he talks about in this one song called "Don't Give Up on Me." Mm. It is this: I've got all this affection locked up inside of me, all these letters that I never did write. Don't give up on me. And I think it's I think it's a, a, a letter to his wife, just going like, "Hang um, in there with me. Hang in there." There's more, there's more in here. I'm in process. More is coming out. Uh, I, I think I would say everything that I think I would tell people I love you more often mm-hmm. if I wasn't afraid. Um, I think I would take big swings artistically mm-hmm. if I wasn't afraid. I think I would speak up more. I'm an Enneagram nine and it's easy for me to just not voice my opinion or something mm-hmm. because then I would rock the boat, right? Mm. So I think if mm. I if I would, I would be more honest up front. Mm. So it wouldn't take me so long to have the truth come out. Mm. So it's wonderful. 
Uh, I think I know the answer, or at least a version of the <laughs> answer. Favorite place on earth? Mm. God. <sighs> you, you know the, the, the layup answer is western Colorado. So the west fork of the Cimarron, it's beautiful. It's this beautiful place nestled right at the base of the San Juan Mountains. It's like untouched Colorado. My dad lives in a town called Westcliff, Colorado. If you've never been there, it is hauntingly beautiful, and it is desolate and wild. Hmm. I can nod to a couple places that I've been once that that stuck with me. Um, a little island um, off the coast of of Sweden, and the way of life there could be a could be a uh, an answer. But hmm. the easy answer is it's found in the wilds of Colorado. It's found in the places that are untouched. Where my dad lives is actually a dark skies community. So it's one of the greatest places I've ever known to see the stars. Mm. And I'm just continually blown away by, this is actual real life on earth. This is not, we're not this is not avatar here. This is, this is real life. So probably Westcliff, Colorado, with some 1A and 1B to the west and um, east fork of the Cimarron uh, in western Colorado. Mm. So it's awesome. Yeah. What's human first mean to you? You you answered this once, but what? Let's go again. Yeah, I think my answer the other day was people matter. Mm. Human first means that you you keep that as the central heartbeat of what you do. Mm. People matter. So for our company, uh, it is what I've seen modeled from the top, what has bled down into the rest. It is that it is that human beings on this team matter. It is that every human that walks through the door that we have the chance to uh, interact with, they matter. It is being um, enamored with um, those very regular and normal stories that people are living right now because we are also living normal and beautiful stories mm -hmm. ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, it is a process of saying people matter. And what's at the heart of that? Empathy is at the heart of that. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Well said. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh. You, you make me cry here at the end. <laughs> because, uh, because I think about it the older I get, right? What will I be remembered for? I hope it's that I was, that I cared. That I made people feel safe that my boys knew a guy that loved them exactly for who they are and that showed them at least a few aspects of what living a good story looks like. Not mistake-free, not without blood on his hands. There's plenty of blood on my hands. But I hope that I'm, I'm a guy that's remembered as being a guy that cares, that shows up, And that is, uh, and that is, um, let me cut some of the silence out. A guy that cares, a guy that shows up, a guy that loved big and lived a good story. Amen, man. That'll preach. That'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> Snaps. And, bro, like, this is why we do this project. This, yeah, man. this is uh this is why we do this project. 
to hear stories like yours. Yeah. And thanks. I'm uh, personally very grateful that you share it. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me on. I Listen, it, it's, it is a fun experience to be doing a podcast with a friend of 15 years. Mm-hmm. I know the dirt under your rug, and I know there's that, plenty. Like, you know, there's plenty. Um, I also know that, like, uh, this, this is the good stuff of life. Mm. There's nothing to prove, nobody to impress, nothing to hide. Just be a damn human. <laughs> Let's do it. Can we make a comfy t-shirt that says be a damn human? If only you knew a good graphic designer. <laughs> texting jason that's right hey uh hey man i love you bro love you too buddy thank you appreciate everything Mm. i got a job to do yeah you do get back to it all right see ya